I just had a had a uh, thank you. I had an epif epiphany moment, you know, a great revelation moment, um, just a few minutes ago. My daughter, uh, who lives in Kentucky, um, is uh, was visiting my wife, and the grandkids are spending the night with my wife tonight, and they brought her a cake that said '62. And I realized today is my wife's birthday. <laughs> yes. I, I just realized it like three minutes ago. So I will be repenting toward the end. <laughs> so I'll be in the doghouse. Just want you all to know that the, actually we had agreed we would celebrate her birthday the next week when I got back from a this is the beginning of a 10-day uh, ministry trip for me, and we're celebrating when I get back. So. I hope I'm not too much in the dog. I have a technical excuse, but I forgot. Yeah, but I do, ha I do, yeah, I do have some regrets on that one. <laughs> I will pay the price, I guarantee you. I will. There will be a price to be paid. That's right, no price is too high. <laughs> so, um, let's, let's uh, read, the, uh, still back in chapter uh, 12 of Genesis, Genesis 12. Very interesting, the next part of the story, and it, it's um, after Abraham lands and ends up in, the Cana, in, in Canaan land, he travels around, builds a couple altars, um, it says Abraham, in verse 9, Abraham journeyed and continued on, uh, still going to the south. This is Genesis 12. And then verse 10 has a very interesting story with lots of lessons for those of us here who are married. Okay? Now, there was a famine in the land, and Abraham went down to Egypt to dwell there, for the famine was severe in the land. And it came to pass, while he was close to entering Egypt, that he said to Sarai, your wife, and by the way, all men need to memorize this next sentence. <laughs> Indeed, I know that you are a woman of beautiful countenance. Bay, you are a babe, right? However you say, baby, you are smoking hot, that's how he said it to her. Now, you've got to remember something. He was 75 years old, and she was 65, all right? She must have been a fine-looking woman. I'd like to have seen her when she was 25, because it's 65. Now, all, all men should tell their wives that she's beautiful. We all should do that. Isn't that right, gents? Yes, we should. He says, therefore, it's going to happen. He says, it's going to happen that when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife, and they'll kill me. But they'll let you live, so please say that you're my sister, that it may be well with me for your sake, and I may live because of you. Now, technically, the word that he used, sister, there was some level of truth to that. Okay? Because it, it basically means a female family member of a similar age set or generation but clearly his intention was to deceive even though if he technically told the truth his intent was to deceive and it was fear fear 
flat out here. So it was. This gets even better. So when Abraham came into Egypt, the Egyptians saw the woman that she was very beautiful. And so the princes of Pharaoh also saw her and commended her to Pharaoh, and the woman was taken to Pharaoh's house. She must have been a fine-looking woman. If at the age of 65, the young studs of Pharaoh were telling their, their Pharaoh, the, the Pharaoh, this is one fine-looking woman. Well, you know, I, uh, that must have been part of it. But uh, so the, the woman was taken to Pharaoh's house. He treated Abram well for her sake. He had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, female and male and female servants, female donkeys and camels. Every African who reads that sentence understands exactly what was going on. Dowry was being paid. I was one time talking to one of our church leaders in Africa, and he, he was laughing at me. He said, he said, you missionaries are corrupt. He says, us Africans, we're honest and straightforward. I said, what are you talking about? And they said, when we see a woman we want to marry, or we, marry, we just go buy her. We go to the father, give him some cows, and we get the woman, we get to take her home. We buy our wives. You Americans are corrupt. You, you bribe your wives. You buy them candy. You buy them, you buy them jewelry. You buy them flowers. He said, you guys are corrupt. You bribe these women to become your wives. He said, we're just very straightforward. We just flat out buy them. <laughs> so dowry was, had to be negotiated here. But the Lord, the Lord plagued Pharaoh. And his, and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abraham's wife. And Pharaoh called Abraham and said, What is this you've done to me? Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why didn't you say, why did you say she's my sister? I might have taken her as my wife. Therefore, here's your wife. Take her and go your way. And so Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him. They sent him away with his wife and all that he had. Fascinating story. In the previous passage that we read earlier today, God had told Abraham, I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to make you a blessing to the nations. He put a mission and a commission on the man's life. And here, through a famine, he's put in an opportunity to be God's agent of grace, a testimony of God's grace, and he flat out blew it because of fear. And it's a common problem that we as men face. Fear, and we do the wrong thing. We might not tell a lie. We might not be corrupt, but we play games with the truth. And we might not tell a lie, but we, cannot, but we often deceive. We often deceive because of our fear. Fear for our life, fear for our inability to provide for our family, fear for what will happen to whatever the situation is. All, every single one of us has been in those situations where we didn't know what to do, didn't know how it was going to work out, and we were afraid. And Borden, no doubt, was in that situation. When his dad told him, I don't want you to be a missionary. I, I, I educated you, I've groomed you, 
to become take over part of the family business. This is what you do. This is what is expected. And I'm sure when he was trying to hold firm in affirming the call of God on his life, his dad, I'm sure they had some interesting conversations. Every time I come home from uh, Africa, my brother and sister stage an intervention saying, you, it's, you've done your duty, you've paid your dues, you've done your thing, why don't you stay home now, get a church in America, make some real money, and there's, you, there's other people who can do that. You have paid your dues, you have done enough. And we have those conversations. And uh, so Abraham comes up with this plan. Because of fear, he's afraid the Egyptians are going to take his wife from him and kill him because she is so good-looking. 65-year-old woman. Wow. I'd like to have seen her when she was 25. I'm sure she'd just look just like your wife when she was 25, right? Just an absolute wonderful babe. Your wife, too? All of our wives, too? Can I hear an amen from the crowd? And by the way, if your wives were here, you'd better have a better, louder amen than that one, guys. So, so she's taken into Pharaoh's house. You know, it's getting worse. It's getting worse. Not only are people saying, this man's got a good-looking sister. They take the sister in to become part of the Pharaoh's harem. And then, I mean, he's getting donkeys and cow, or camels. And, and, and so the... Um, dowry is being negotiated. And that's not just done in a, oh, here's, here's a couple of cows, thank you for the woman. It's negotiated. I mean, they go back and forth with some bargaining. When my daughter got married uh, here in the States, um, we got up to the, to the front of the church. And uh, the pastor said, is there anyone here who knows why these two cannot be wed together? I'm the father of the bride, and I'm standing next to the bride, and I raised my hand. And I said, the young man has not completed paying his dowry. <laughs> now, all my missionary friends were there, just lost it. And all of everybody else who didn't know, they were stunned that the father of the bride was saying he had an objection to the wedding going forward. Well, I'd given the son-in-law the heads up that this was going to happen. And his best man was standing there. And his best man reached in his pocket and pulled out some plastic cows. Because dowry is always, even though dowry is often paid in cash, it's always negotiated in cows. <laughs> so he handed a couple of these toy plastic cows to the groom. And the groom brought them to me. And I looked at him. And he went back up there again. And then the, I, I stood there and said... So the best man reaches in his pockets and pulls out a few. We'd rehearsed this ahead of time. <laughs> Meanwhile, the, the whole congregation's just losing. But dowry, and I, finally I settled for eight. <laughs> and he got a good deal. Let me tell you, he got a good deal. And, of course, my African, the African missionaries that were with me, they just thought that was fantastic. The pastor was just, he was just beside himself. 
I had given him the heads up that there might be some controversy during the ceremony. And, uh, but dowries negotiated. It's not just a one-off deal. And uh, so here, Abraham's negotiating dowry for his wife, who he said was his sister. He, at any point in time, he could have called this thing off. And then all of a sudden, instead of blessings coming on the nations because of Abraham maintaining his integrity, curses come, uh, um, uh, plagues come. And who is it that announces the truth? Pharaoh. It was Abraham's job to be the announcer of the truth, the declarer of the truth. And Pharaoh is the one who comes up with the truth. And here he is, this pagan man, asking the man of God, Why did you do this to me? Man, I came this close to taking this woman into my harem as one of my wives. Take your wife, take your stuff, and get out. I wonder... And that story had to be maintained in Egypt. I wonder if when Joseph ended up down in Egypt and some of these other things in the history of the relationship between the Jews and the Egyptians, if they didn't remember the first encounter with this Hebrew guy was he was a liar and a deceiver and a cheater and could not be trusted and it left a bad taste in their mouth. But I'm happy to, I mean, it was, it was a defeat. After he had this tremendous victory of getting the promised land and following the Lord and building these altars and God making this promise to him and this, all of this victory, he ends up with this terrible, terrible defeat. And everybody knew it. Everyone in his entourage knew it. They got kicked out of Egypt. And they're on their way back to Israel with their Heads hanging down. Everybody knew. The boss. The man of God. Who God had given these great promises to. He flat out failed. And every one of us as men have experienced those times where we blew it. We were not the men of God we were supposed to be. Maybe we did a pretty good job covering it up or putting a veneer on it. Maybe very few people know. But a lot of times, more people know than they let on to know just because they're nice and they want to help us save face. But the story doesn't end there. If so, we wouldn't be talking about retreats because this was a retreat. This was a retreat. Let's continue reading in chapter 13. It's part of the story. Then Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and Lot with him, to the south. Now he means the southern part of Israel, the Negev, that, that, that area there. Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver and in gold. And he went, follow his journey, he went on his journey from the south as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Ai, to the place of the altar which he had made there at first, and there Abram called on the name of the Lord. My friends, there are times when we are defeated, when we fail, you 
got to go back to the altar. You've got to go back and reconnect with what God did in your life, with what God said to you, with the commitments that you made to Him, the commitments that He made to you. There are times when we've got to go back to the altar. And my proposal to you in this message is that going back to the altar is not a retreat. You're going back, but it's not a retreat. You're you're, you're reaffirming what God said to you and what God did in your life. And where are you? I don't know where you are in your own walk with the Lord. I mean, some of you are my age. Some of you are a little I'm 62. Some of you are a bit older than I am. Um, we go through, we're in different stages of life, different stages of our careers. We've got a bunch of United Methodists here trying to figure out what's going to happen in the next 40 days. You know, do I, what am I going to do? What are we going to do? Some of you in your churches, your churches are going well. Some of you, your churches are facing some difficult situations, and you're just not sure. How's this thing going to work out? Some of you in your careers, your business, I don't know. Some of you, you know, you go to the doc and he starts talking to you about congestive heart failure. Some of you have probably been to the doc in the past few months and he told you something he didn't, you didn't want to hear. Maybe it was about your prostrate. My father had prostate <laughs> prostate cancer. My brother had prostate cancer. The docs tell me that because of that, I'm almost 90% guaranteed to have prostate cancer. And so I regularly have my PSA done, and I regularly vi- visit my doctor, and he greets me in a very unfortunate way. <laughs> if you understand what I'm saying. You're too young to know about that stuff. (laughs) You know, nobody wants to hear the doctor say the cancer word or congestive heart failure. Maybe you've had some bad financial setbacks. I don't know what it is. Maybe one of your kids is going the wrong way. Maybe you and your wife have drifted apart. It can happen. It can happen. To the best of us. Sometimes we've got to go back to the altar. That's what Abraham did. And you can almost hear the people in in his entourage following him back, saying, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? And then they realize they're starting to see some familiar territory. We've been here before. We were going this way, but we're going this way. I remember those rocks. I remember those hills. I remember that tree. I remember the boss is going back to the altar. The boss is going back to the altar. And you can be absolutely sure there was great rejoicing when they saw Abraham go back to the altar. 
Some of us have been in our churches, some of us are preachers, some of us are board members, some of us are finance people, some of us are the leaders, Sunday school teachers, the best tithers, leaders in the association. And there are times when God's calling us to go to the altar and we don't want to go. We don't want to go because of pride, flat out, plain, pure and simple pride. And yet in our heart of hearts, we know how much respect we have for people when we see them go to the altar. You've been in church and some, you see some guy, somebody go to the altar, a friend of yours, age mate, a woman, a man, and you say, I have so much respect for them. There are times we've got to go back to the altar. Now, this truth came as a big surprise to me uh, after I got married. Because, you see, I'd, get, I'd gotten saved and then went to camp meeting, got sanctified. I put my all on the altars, committed to being a missionary, yielded everything to the Lord. And then a couple of years later, all of a sudden, there's this woman in my house. I'd gotten married. And I gave my Lord my all. But then my life got bigger. And then I was a pastor of a church. And my life got bigger. And now there's these little kids running around the house. And my life got bigger. And you, this is one of the incredible theological truths that as, as Methodists and as Wesleyans, I think we've got a better handle on this than most. And that is, it is possible to give the Lord your all and sell out to the Lord and give Him your all, and then several months later you find out you got to give Him your all again because your life got bigger or there were dimensions of your life that you hadn't realized or were not aware of at that point in time, and you got to give Him your all again because your life got bigger. How many kids you got? Six, seven? I was thinking it was six or seven. Every time, you've got to go back to the altar because you've got a new life that God has entrusted to you and you've got to give Him your all again. David, you're coming up on retirement sometime or another. You retire, you've got to go back to the altar because that's a dimension of your life you have never had to trust Jesus for before. You got to go back to the altar. My United Methodist friends here, you guys got to go back to the altar. You got general conference coming up. We have never been down this road before. And if you know what's going on, you should be somewhat afraid. Even though your trust is in the Lord, there's a lot of uncertainty. We've got to give the Lord our all. We've got to go back to the altar and yield to Him this bigger life, this new dimension, this thing we've never had to trust Jesus for before. You've had to do it several times in the past couple years since your accident. Because your life has changed. You've got to go back to the altar. Because your all, it's a new all. For a while that bothered me theologically. 
Because I said, I gave my Lord, I gave, I gave my all to the Lord way back when. If I go to the altar again, that, does that mean my all? I didn't do it right then? I didn't really give? No, it doesn't. It means you've got, your life has gotten bigger. There have been two times in my life, just two, where I walked into a church service, heard the scripture announced, and I knew I had to hit the altar in that service. And I told you one of them was at camp meeting when, the, when I was struggling with giving my life completely to the Lord and experiencing heart holiness, and the scripture was announced, this is the will of God, your sanctification. I knew. Today's the day. The next time was several years later, also at a camp meeting, at Indian Springs camp meeting, so over in, over in Flowville. I was there, and I was one of the, I was one of the missionaries. I mean, we were there raising money. And we're sitting there in a service. It was an afternoon service. Now, you know, you know how that was before they had air-conditioned that tabernacle, if you've ever been to Indian Springs. And that was when they had camp meeting in August. And you know what an afternoon service in an open-air tabernacle with a tin roof is like in Georgia, middle Georgia, in August. It was hot. And a lot of people didn't even go, but I went. And the pastor stood up. Or the guy, the preacher stood up that day, and his, this was his scripture. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, but do not do what I say? That's a tough one. Because even though I, I believed I had been faithful to that commitment, that I had made to the Lord when I gave him all, that he had been showing me some new things. And it had to do with money. It had to do with money. Where I was finding it very difficult to trust him with some, with, in finances. I felt like I needed to do it all. I mean, I was taught to do that. My father, I was taught, make your own way, boy. And now I'm with an organization where I have to raise support. I have to ask people for support. And that was humbling and very difficult for me to do. By the way, if any of you are wondering, I have gotten over that. <laughs> and I got one of my prayer cards right here. <laughs> but that was hard. That's hard for a lot of missionaries. It's hard for a lot. And I was struggling. I was struggling. And the sermon was, why do you call me Lord, Lord, but you don't do what I say? When I heard that scripture, immediately the Lord brought to mind some of the issues he'd been talking to me about that I had not yet been fully obedient. I don't, I don't want to say I was sinning, but maybe I was. I, don't, I, haven't figured, I haven't got the theology of that one figured out yet, all right? I'm, I'm like that very famous theologian, Mark Twain, who said, it's not the parts of the Bible I don't understand that bother me, it's the parts of the Bible I do understand that bother me. I hadn't got that all figured out yet. But all I knew is that God was talking to me, and God was, I think it was more He was stretching me to trust Him in new areas, and I was struggling to do that, or to let go of my... I want to make it in life. I want to be, I want to be my own man. Um, you, know, you guys know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about. 
when I heard the scripture announced, I knew <laughs> I got to hit the altar. And let me tell you something, when you're at a camp meeting, holiness camp meeting, and you're there to raise money as a missionary, and you hit the altar, there's a lot of fear. What will people think? What will the camp meeting president think? He'll think I'm backslidden. But I found it. He, was, he didn't think that. He was like every single one of us. If we see a brother go to the altar, we just say, God bless him. That's Amen. wonderful. Amen. And, we, and we in our hearts say, I wish I had the courage to do that a few times myself. Yeah. There are times when in order for us to say no retreat, it's not because we're, sometimes, sometimes we are retreating. Sometimes we have gone backwards and sometimes we have backslid. Yeah. Somebody, I was talking to a friend of mine about Baptists and Methodists on backsliding, you know, and yeah, he said, well, you know, it's Baptists. We don't believe you can backslide and lose your salvation. And I said, well, us Methodists, we believe you can backslide, and we practice what we preach. You know? <laughs> I mean, sometimes we've got to go to the altar because we backslid, flat out. Let's just say it. Let's just say it. But there are times... When we find ourselves where God's talking to us and He's calling us forward and we've not yet taken that step and we need to give Him a new all. A new all. It's a story in the Old Testament about David, how David had... You remember when Samuel was looking for the next king and kept calling for more, more of Jesse's sons to be brought and finally they brought David and the Lord says, that's the guy. <laughs> And he anointed him as king. But then there came a time later in David's career where, he, where in the Psalms he said, I need to be anointed with fresh oil. There are times when we need that fresh anointing, that fresh oil. There's those times when we've got to go back to the altar. Anybody need to go back to the altar? tonight you know these days all of us watch the news um, I don't know whether you're a CNN guy or a Fox News guy or whatever guy all of us know the, uh, whatever you believe about Russian involvement and collusion and all of that I'm not getting into that but all of us can agree the, lush, the, Ru the Russians strategy was to divide us as Americans I think that's pretty clear. I think no matter what side of the, uh, of the political spectrum you're on, that was, their, that, well, that was pretty clear. That was their strategy. They did the same thing to the Brits. That's why the Brits are fighting so bad over uh, Brexit. It's, not, it's more than just that, but that's part of it. And it seems like it is difficult for us to have civil discourse these days. Conversations have gotten angrier People are being attacked just because we disagree with each other. We've found it very, very difficult. And it is easy for us who have deep, deep convictions on many different issues to fall into that trap. Maybe you've gotten caught there. I am deeply, deeply worried with the ease with which we can access pornography now. I mean, when I was growing up, the only place you could get pornography was down at the local newsstand, and there you had to kind of sneak a peek at the cover of the Playboy and hope that nobody was watching, 
or you kept it under your mattress if somebody was able to get one of those things. It was hard. Nowadays, it's in our pockets and nobody knows. <clears throat> and I, 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 I'm a missionary with World Gospel Mission. I am worried. I have seen my missionary friends. I have seen African pastors with, because of internet porn and they've got it, they have access to it, are caught up and being defiled and their minds corrupted and polluted. I mean, any of you who are pastors, I'm sure you're dealing with it in your church. Uh, if, if you're not dealing with it in your church, you're not dealing with it because it's in your church. It's there. It's in there. And especially those of us, uh, as men, we tend to be visually excited. It's, very, it's a very uh, tempting thing for us. And some of you have probably been caught in that snare, and some of you still are and have not yet gotten freedom. And God's calling you, let's go back to the altar. <clears throat> Trust me. Trust me to give you victory in your thought life, in your visual life, in your web surfing habits, in what, the movies that you go see, in the conversations that you hold, in the political discussions you have with colleagues and, and, and maybe even, um, not enemies, but people who disagree with us politically. It's easy for us to become cynical and divided, um, especially with, with our current American, the, the current hostility we have uh, towards the presidency and the, and the Congress. And Oh, what a mess. Man, we need to be praying for our country like crazy. But there are those times where we've got to go back to the altar. Either because we've backslidden or our lives have gotten bigger. And there are new areas of our life that we need to give to him. Abraham had never faced this fear before. Clearly he failed. Clearly he deceived. He lost this opportunity to be, to fulfill the mission that God had given him. But finally he got it right. He went back to the altar. And tonight, as we close out this service, we're going to go back to the altar. Right here in our seats. And I want you to think. And just close your eyes with me, maybe, and whatever you like to do. Think of the times in your life where you have had altar experiences. It might have been sitting in the car and you're sitting in your easy chair at home. It might have been at an altar, at a camp meeting, at a church, at a revival, at, an, at, a, at a, a mass. Uh, when God met you and worked in your life in an amazing, transforming way. Think of that time where you gave Him your all. And you really meant it. You really, you really flat out did. And I want to ask you, have you backed away from that commitment? Have you allowed the busyness and noise and the complexity of life to crowd out that commitment? Maybe your life's just gotten bigger. Maybe you added a few more kids like Adam. Maybe you've had a change of situation in your life. <clears throat> Maybe you've 
heard things from the doc or your wife has heard things from the doc that you sure didn't want to hear. Maybe you're noticing your own mental sharpness slipping. And you're wondering if some dementia is creeping in or Alzheimer's or Parkinson's. Or maybe you've got an ache or a lump somewhere that you're, you're afraid to go to the dock and have it checked out. For some reason, lots of men think if we ignore it, it'll go away. Most of us at our age, it won't. Maybe there's just some new area of life that you're trusting, having to trust the Lord for you that you've never had to trust Him before. Let's go back to the altar and call on the name of the Lord like we have in the past. Lord, you know our hearts. We want to be the men of God you want us to be. And Lord, you hear our cry. Lord, the, for the places in our lives where we have just been in disobedience, forgive us. Cleanse our hearts through and through. For the areas of our lives, Lord, that have gotten complicated and we've just gotten distracted, bring us back to that simpler, purer walk with you. Lord, where we're having to trust you for things we've never had to trust you for before, help us to lay those things on the altar as well. For the new situations, Lord, that we're facing that we've never had to face before, for the things that scare us or at least make us nervous when we're trying to be a little more polite, help us to trust you. We're back at the altar, Lord. Do your deep, deep work in our lives. And may your Spirit give witness to our spirits that you've heard our prayers, that your grace is at work, and that honor and glory are yours in our lives. We love you. We thank you. We trust you and pray all of this in Jesus' strong name. Amen, amen. and amen.